0: Come on, we love our kids. So we're gonna we're gonna open tonight with a giveaway. You know that uh, if you've been tracking with us for any amount of time, we do some giveaways uh, every every weekend. So uh, I'm gonna do one now, and then I've got a couple that are uh, embedded in the service. So somebody who was here, oh let me, I guess I should tell you what it is. Some of you are going, what is that? I know what some of you are thinking. You're hoping it's a whole bag of Starbucks gift cards, right? So I'm going to disappoint you. It is from Cracker Barrel, but it's not food because we preached on overeating last weekend, right? So that would be inappropriate for me to, to give you a side of bacon. But the, um, so Vanessa's, for Vanessa's birthday, her birthday was on, on, was on uh, this past uh, Tuesday. We uh, got up early and went to breakfast at, at, at Cracker Barrel. We ate healthy. Come on, we ate healthy. Kind of. So I grab the game. Anybody like to play the game at Cracker Barrel with the triangle and in the, in the golf, right, tees? Yeah? So I pick it up. I slide it over. I play it first try, right? I've been playing that thing forever. First try. Oh, yeah, David Godwin is shaking his head because he doesn't believe me. I ended up with one peg. One peg, right? I will never play this game ever again for the rest of my life. It says that I'm a genius. I've been telling Vanessa that for her whole life, right? Since we've At least since we've been married. So we're going to give away, I'm going to give away one of these, and I'm going to give away two more. And uh, you, you are allowed, you are allowed to play it during the sermon, right? And then if you get one, you can stand up and cheer, and we will stop the whole service, and we'll, we'll cheer with you. Come on. So it's called the Peg Game. So somebody who was here last weekend who can explain to me why we are using pictures from the 100th anniversary of the Titanic to, to, for this series, we won't back down. Anybody? Any takers? No? Oh, Amanda, first hand up. All right. Yeah, and then how does that relate to the sermon series? Come on, there you go. She got it. Nice. Nice. Shani was like, open that thing up. Let's try right now. She said that, you know, what we what we closed the service with last weekend was that after the sinking of the Titanic, as, as terrible of a tragedy as that was, there's no question, that transatlantic travel didn't decrease, it increased. That cruise lines didn't decrease, they increased. The shipbuilding industry, they didn't abandon that, come on, it increased. And so we're using that as an illustration for us to say, you know, even though we have some tragedies in our yesterdays, we are not going to let the failures of our past dictate what our futures are going to be so we talked about overeating last weekend even maybe we've tried and tried and tried to conquer that and maybe we failed every time we've ever tried we're starting over anew and with each topic that we're covering in this sermon series we're saying we won't back down as a church to talk about controversial things but also for you Individually, that you're not going to let your past failures define your tomorrows. God says His mercies are new every morning, every morning, every morning. So, in this sermon series, we're going to be launching off of this text, Acts 28 31, which is our life verse. You saw that pop up in our video announcements. We have a life verse for every message, and sometimes we attach one to a series. And so, this one, you're going to see it each week during the series. Speaking of the Apostle Paul, it says, Boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Not because of their cowardice, but because of his courage. We want to be courageous Christians, and we want to be a courageous church. There are some topics in this book, this sacred Bible, that many churches, they just stay away from. We're not going to be that church. If it's in here, come on, we want it out here. If it's in that book that we want to tackle it, we want to take it on. So we took on over uh, uh, eating last weekend, and we're taking on overworking. Come on, tonight. Next week, we're going to talk about oversexing. The world has dominated the conversation about human sexuality for far too long. The church has got to step in and be a part of this conversation. God created it. The church should be talking about it. And then we're going to wrap up the series with, with overspending. We're wrapping up the series with overspending. So. So, what are some consequences that you've experienced in your own life from overworking? We like participation here at the City Life Church. So, just in your own life, what are some consequences that you've experienced personally, or maybe things that you have observed in the lives of other people? The consequences of overworking, not getting the rest that you need. Celeste? Getting sick. Absolutely. Amy? Marriage problems. Doug? Marriage problems. Yeah. Neglecting other areas of your life. Neglecting other areas of your life. Yes, ma'am. Not spending time with your daughter—that's good. Come on, physical health, physical health. stress. Stress. Str- What'd you say? <laughs> I I say you were gonna say stress. Yeah, stress, Brett. Sleep deprivation. Is that what we said? Yeah, absolutely. You can't sleep, and you need it. You overwork. You can't fall asleep. Somebody else. Was there a hand over here? Separation. Separation. Come on, it's good. Somebody else. Things that you've experienced. Consequences. Yes, sir. Not enough sleep. Not enough sleep, David. Not doing any one thing well. Anybody experience those? Come on. Most of us can say to all of those things. Yes, ma'am. Do you have one that you were going to say? No? Okay. Good. Good. Somebody else. Come on. A couple more. Let's do two more. Nathaniel. Chronic burnout. Not eating right. Nice connection to last weekend. Right? Yes. Come on. We like flattery at the City Life Church. Right? Come on. Come on. There are consequences There are consequences if we choose to live our lives in a manner that is inconsistent with the way that God has laid it out for us to live. He's not going to step into our lives and take control of us. He's not going to step into our lives and force us to do what he's asked us to do, but there should be something inside of us that says, I believe that God always has my best interest at heart. And the things that he tells me not to do and the things that he wants me to start doing, it's because he's trying to not set me into a place of mediocrity, but to release me from mediocrity and experience the excellence and the depth of this life, heaven on earth, we call it here at the City Life Church. In this area of overworking, it's a problem, and our Western culture and churches are some of the biggest culprits with people having an issue with overworking, and we're not going to be that church. Come on. All right, so we're going to talk about overworking tonight. Ecclesiastes 4, 5 through 6 says, "...fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin, and yet better to have one handful of quietness, which means restfulness, than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind and what solomon is giving us here is a false choice a false choice is when you think that you've got to choose between these two things and yet there's a third option or a fourth option that's available to you so solomon's saying here hey don't fall into this trap of this false choice your only two choices in this life aren't laziness and being unproductive and never really accomplishing anything and your other alternative just being striving and working never feeling contented never having enough those are not your only two choices there's a third choice there's this choice of saying, I am going to learn to be content with what I have. I'm willing to have a little bit less materially if, in doing so, I gain something that's intangible, that it's a restfulness that I have deep inside, that we overvalue in this life tangible possessions, things that have a monetary value. And God says to you and me, hey, there's other things that you need to learn to value. There are other things in this life that are sacred that you need to be willing to say, I'm willing to have less material possession so that I can have these things over here that I know that you value. Jesus in the gospel of Luke said, a person's life is not measured by the abundance of the things that they possess. But yet, we're bombarded with that in the Western culture in which we live, and the Word of God stands up, come on, proclaiming courageously. You have got to be willing to say, I value a sense of restfulness, even if it means that I'm going to have a little bit less. So if you've got your Bible, let's turn to Matthew 8. I'm going to read a little bit from this story, and then we're going to launch into some practical things that we can begin to do to change this pattern of overworking in our lives. Matthew 8, beginning in verse 23. As he got into the boat, I like this story already. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat began to be swamped with waves. But he was sleeping. So Jesus is asleep in the boat. There's a terrible storm. The boat's about to sink. So the disciples came. They woke him up saying... Lord save us we are going to die now these are not faint-hearted men many of them they earned their living as fishermen on the Sea of Galilee so you know if they are afraid for their lives then it's trouble it's like when there's a hurricane coming right and they go and they do an interview with somebody that lives on Hatteras Island right and 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 they never want to leave so if they were to cut to that and they were to say oh we're getting out of here right you know that there's a problem Because if they're afraid, we should be afraid. So if the disciples are afraid in this moment, you know that it's trouble. But he said to them, why are are you fearful? You have little faith. Then he got up, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Now you can say that it's a coincidence between Jesus doing something supernatural after he just took a nap. Come on, you know where I'm headed? Or or you can believe, like we all believe at the City Life Church, that everything in this book is intentional. Everything that Jesus does is intentional. Everything that he does is instructive. And I'm telling you that he was taking a nap before he performed that miracle because he was trying to teach them a lesson in life. That if you are not giving yourself the physical rest that you need, you will not be able to be used by God and move in ways in this life that God wants you to move, especially in some areas of supernatural. I'm just asking the question, is it possible that one of the reasons why we don't see God move in supernatural ways in this world today, it's because we're all just too tired? I'm just asking the question. Is it possible that one of the reasons why we don't see God move in supernatural ways in the way that we want to, it's because we have rejected something that's sacred to him. And he says, come on, I'm not going to honor you with doing those kinds of works until you're willing to walk in a place of obedience with me. Is it possible? Is it possible? Is it possible that God's saying to some of you, learn to take a nap. Give yourself some rest. Because there are some other things on the side of that restfulness that I want you to discover that you're not ever going to discover if you just live your life stressed out and overworked. By the end of this sermon tonight, we hope that you're going to have a sense of permission to give yourself this rest, to have this Ecclesiastes chapter four existence, and we're gonna give you some practical steps that you can begin to take just starting this week. Come on, we're not gonna be a church that's overworked. We won't back down. At the City Life Church, we're going to courageously combat overworking with a message of rest for us all. It's the only time once a year that we say, if you wanna sleep during the sermon, you have my permission to do so. Rest awareness, so we're gonna do three tonight. We're gonna talk about rest awareness, we're gonna talk about rest attitude. You need to have some attitude, oh I'm gonna have my rest. You need to develop an attitude about rest. Rest awareness, rest attitude, then we're gonna talk about rest action. So the first one of this rest awareness. There are four kinds of rest that the Bible speaks of. We find all four of them mentioned in Hebrews chapter 4. I want to introduce them to you. And one of the reasons why I believe that the church does such a miserable job with helping people learn how to rest is that they, they miss out on the various kinds of rest that God wants us to have. And we're not going to be fully rested until we have all four. I'm going to introduce the other three, but we're going to focus in on physical rest. That's what we're going to spend our time with tonight. So in Hebrews 4... It says though is, there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. Now, the writer of Hebrews uses here a word that has never been used before in the Greek language ever. It's this word, it's why it's special rest. It's not found anywhere else in the entire Bible. And this is why we know the writer of Hebrews was a great preacher, because he made up a word because he could not find the one that fits. Right? Sometimes I get home, my kids say, Daddy, is that a word? I say, it is now, Right? because you make up words i'm a big fan of words i'm a big fan of words i found a word this week i had never seen before and did not know what it meant i kid you not i kind of consider myself kind of a a word aficionado right it's kind of an underground culture here at the city life church i usually try to work a word in every week you didn't know that every week that's a little bit extreme so i'm going to do a giveaway another one so what's the word i worked in last week anybody know Oh, come on. See? I know. Anybody? Any takers? Juice? Wait, wait. Juice is on staff, so that's cheap. That's so if nobody else can get it, anybody else? Oh, Amanda's. Lynette? Say it. You can say it. We believe in you. You've got it. Perfunctory. Come on. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Come on. We worked it in last week. Perfunctory it means routine. Talked about just a perfunctory prayer that doesn't really mean anything. We're talking about praying before you eat. Just don't let your prayer life slip into a place of being routine. So we were going to take the Peru team to Norfolk, uh, the airport. They flew out. Come on, hope you're praying for the Peru team, mission team in Peru. So Warren calls me up and says, "You planning on a, on a helping to with the drive test?" I said, "Absolutely, absolutely. I'm on my way." He said, "Well, Sandy, we're we're going to be heading down there. We're not going to need. It. If you were here, it would just be superfluous." I said, oh, Warren, you are a true city lifer now. You are a true, throwing around the word superfluous in the middle of the day. All right, so this is the word I saw this week. You ready? The word D-I-N, din. Anybody ever heard that word before? Oh, Gretchen Ballard's hands, the first one I saw. Never heard the word din before. Saw it this week. We homeschool our kids. It was one of their lessons. What's the word din mean? It means noise, yes, an enduring, long, annoying noise. So if you ever watch the World Cup soccer, the horns, right, that's din, right there. (laughs) Words are important because words communicate thoughts, they communicate ideas, they communicate feelings, and the writer of Hebrews said, you know what, there is not a word in language yet to date that speaks to the thought that I want to put into play, inspired by the Holy Spirit this idea of a special rest, this idea that there is a restfulness that we can have in this life that is absolutely divine. And the word that he makes up here, sabbatismos, or she makes up, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is, sabbatismos, it means a rest that never ends. Anybody interested in that kind of rest? And what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, if you want to live in a place of never-ending rest, you need to be aware, you need to understand all the different kinds of rest that God created. Because if you can walk in all four of them, then you're going to walk in sabbatismos. So as you dig around in Hebrews chapter 4, you find one of the first ones. It's this idea of paternal rest. Hebrews 4, 2 through 3a, it says, For this good news that God has prepared, this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. Talking about the Israelites in the days of old. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. And as you study this chapter, you begin to realize that the writer of Hebrews is saying there is a rest that comes from knowing God as your father. There is a peace that just fills your heart when you step from a place of believing that there is a God and a deity that exists into a place where you believe that he knows your name and that he cares about you. It's the email that we read in the middle of the worship sep- about the, the person not, not prayed in 40 years. Right? All of a sudden, God knows who I am. He cares about the things that are important to me. He's got to be busy. He's managing all of history and all the universe, right? But he says, I'm going to give my undivided attention to this moment. He's your father. It changes the way that you feel on the inside. There's a restfulness that comes when you realize that he is a father that knows your name and loves you with an indescribable love. We see it in children. That's why we want to get involved in this neighborhood in Oyster Point. Those are kids that oftentimes have no person in their life that cares about them. No person that's speaking words of life into their heart, like what we talked about on Easter weekend about being a creator, that that these children, they are just desperate. They're dying on the inside for someone to care about them. And for some of us, we grew up in homes where our parents just loved on us all the time, so it was easy for us to grasp this idea of God being a father. But there are people in the world, when we talk about God being a father, that's not necessarily a positive thing for them. Come on, we're going to be a church that changes what that's like. We're going to help them understand, hey, when God says he's your father, this is what it's like. And all of a sudden there's a restfulness that they're going to discover when they take that step of making a vow of devotion to Christ and their life, come on, is reconciled to God and they wake up every day knowing him as their best and closest friend. A life-defining, passion-filled, moment-by-moment governing relationship with the creator of the universe. When you have that, I am telling you, there's a quietness and a peacefulness that overtakes your heart. We want to be a church that helps people discover a paternal rest. We want to be a church that helps people discover a purpose rest. We're going to be talking about this in great detail in the series that we do after this one. This is Hebrews 4.8. It says, Now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So he's using contrast here to set apart a paternal rest by comparing it to a purpose rest. That there was a restfulness that the people of Israel experienced when they fulfilled their purpose in taking possession of the promised land, which is what Joshua led them to do. And it's the same with you. God created you to do a work. God created you. He put you into this world to have an impact. We talked about over Easter weekend, right? You've got to find the cause that you've got to give your life to. And when you begin to give your life to that cause, you might be physically tired, but something on the inside feels absolutely contented because you know you're fulfilling your destiny. And when you know that you're walking in your destiny, there's a restfulness that just bubbles up over out of your heart that you just find irresistible. People ask us all the time. We came here in Newport News in 2007. The church that we were at, I had been there for 17 years before coming here. And people say, how is Newport News? And we say we've never been more tired in all of our lives, but we've never smiled bigger either. You with me? There is a labor, there is a work to fulfilling a destiny. But when you're doing the work and the labor that God has called you to do, you might go to bed at night tired, but there is a smile that is on your face that's just waiting for you there when you wake up in the morning. There's a restfulness to the eternal part of who you are when you walk in the purpose that he's created you to walk in. Come on, we're gonna be talking about that more in the series to come. The next one is this, a perpetual rest. This is the rest that fills your heart when you know the question of where you're going after you die is settled for you. So we talked about over Easter weekend, set your course. When you make a decision to become a devoted follower of Christ in this world, the question of what waits for you on the other side of death, you you don't have to worry about that. You're going to be with God in heaven for all eternity. And when you know the answer to that question, there's just a peace and a contentment that you carry around with you in life. Verse 10 says, For all who have entered into God's rest, this is the paternal rest he's talking about here, have rested from their labors, meaning that we come to a place where we realize we cannot work our way into God's good graces means we come to a place where we realize that I can't earn God's favor. We come to a place where we realize that Jesus died on the cross to pay a price for our sins, and if he had not done that, then we could not have this question settled for us. We cannot work and labor our way into heaven. Jesus is the only one that makes that possible, and when we give ourselves to the grace of God, it just sets something at peace in us. We rest from our labors just as God did after creating the world. He's using this metaphor. As God stopped working in the story of creation, he's saying you've got to stop working to try to earn God's grace. It's a gift. Just accept it. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. This is what he's saying. Hey, there are consequences. There are consequences to rejecting God. There's consequences to rejecting the, the, the governance of Christ. Not just believing in who he is. Come on, the devil even believes that Jesus is real and is the son of God. But there's a place of surrender where we said I want you to be the boss of my life. And when we take that step. We make that vow of devotion to Christ. What is waiting for us after death, after we breathe our last, it's going to happen for all of us. All of us, with certainty, are one day going to breathe our last breath. And when you know what's waiting for you on the other side of that, I'm telling you there is a contentment that you live with. There is a contentment that fills the depth of your soul that you do not want to live without. When you have a paternal rest, when you have a purpose rest, when you have a perpetual rest, you are on your way to a sabbatismos life. Oh, but there's one more. It's one of my favorites. Come on, the physical rest. Hebrews 4, 4b says, the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day, and on the seventh day it says God rested from all of his work. That's quoting Genesis 2, 2. So if God being divine, if God being perfect, if if God, after working for six days to create the world, had a need for rest, how much more do you and I need that? If a perfect God, a perfect deity had a felt need for a day off, how much more do we... In the brokenness of our humanity, in the the limits of our lives, this side of heaven, how much more do you and I need one day out of every seven days that we set aside to be refreshed, to be rejuvenated, for our lives to restart so that we have the energy that we need to do the work that he's called us to live. All right, Mark 2.27 says, Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, and not people— to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Now, this is a verse that a lot of people use to say, Fred, I appreciate what you're talking about, but this whole idea of a Sabbath rest, it's optional because Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for me, but I wasn't made for the Sabbath. So it's a gift that God wants to give to me, but because it's a gift, I'm not obligated to accept it. And the problem with that is, is that's overlaying a Western mindset onto the kingdom of God, and that gets us into trouble, right? Because in our culture, if someone wants to give us a gift, we have the freedom to say, you know, thank, you know that was really thoughtful, but you know, no thank you, right? We have the freedom to do that. We do not have the freedom to say no to the creator of the universe. Even when he says it's a gift, there has got to be something inside of us that says, if he wants to give me that gift, I cannot... Live without it. It's a gift in the sense that he doesn't control you. It's a gift in the sense that he doesn't force you. It's a gift in the sense that you've got to make a decision to accept it. But if you reject it, there will be consequences. We understand this concept in, in Ephesians 2:8. It says, For by what? For by for by faith you're saved by grace. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So who of us would say tonight, you know, I can just reject the gift of God's forgiveness and everything's going to be okay. In the kingdom of God, we're in a place of saying, God, if you want to give it to me, I need to accept it. And in some ways, it needs to define me, especially when it comes to this idea of a weekly Sabbath. It's something that all of us have to do. Jesus is referring to, the, to the, just how stressful life was for Jewish people in his day. Jewish rabbis had had all these lists of what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day. They had it marked out how many steps that you could take, and if you went over those number of steps, then you violated the Sabbath, right? A Sabbath back then, I would be more stressed out about knowing whether or not I'm keeping all the rules, right? I kid you not, this is real, this is real. You were allowed to practice medicine. No, you, you were allowed to eat on the Sabbath day and Jesus' day, but you weren't allowed to practice medicine. So if you had a, if you had a, 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 a sore tooth, and you rinsed your mouth with vinegar, you had to swallow it because that would be eating, but if you spit it out, that would be considered practicing medicine, you would have violated your Sabbath. All of these lists, Jesus is saying, are you kidding me? This isn't what this is about. You're stressing people out. We love to watch HGTV. Vanessa and I watched that show together and we were watching this uh, this show and this young couple, they were a Jewish couple and they were renovating their home and they asked the builder, can you incorporate, do we have enough money to incorporate a, a, a computerized timing system for all the lights? Because our Sabbath begins at sunset on Friday and after the Sabbath starts, we're not allowed to turn on and off light switches because it violates the Sabbath. It's crazy, isn't it, that legalism of that. So they put a computerized system so they could set when they wanted their lights to come on and off so they didn't have to violate. Jesus says, hey, this is not what God intended when he created a day of rest in the beginning of time. It's not supposed to govern us legally, but it is supposed to give the gift of rest to our physical bodies. And even though it's a gift, there's got to be something inside of us that says, if God wants to give this to me, I want to have it. And we're going to talk about at the end of the sermon how we can do the practice of a Sabbath without slipping into this pattern of legalism. All right, so let's talk about a rest attitude. You got to get an attitude about rest. Now some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because we talked about overeating last week, and some of you left out of here and you said, oh, I don't care what Pastor Fred said. I'm going to have my cannoli at Anna's after church, right? That's having an attitude. Anybody here ever said, oh, no, when we're in my car, we listen to the music that I want to listen to, right? You've, you, you've had these, you had, there's things in your life that you have an attitude about if someone tries to deny you of them. So Vanessa's not here tonight, so I have to tell a story about her. That's how we roll to me show House. So, you know, we, we, uh, we spent the, the first uh, 10 years of our marriage in the, in the inner city of Richmond, and when I went to look at the house that I was going to buy, I felt like God spoke to my heart about living in a crime-ridden community, uh, about spoke to my heart about intentionally putting myself in a setting where I was going to be a minority and help try to make a contribution within one neighborhood towards a racial reconciliation in our city. And so we gave 10 years of our life to living in this neighborhood. And so when I was, I was got kind of lost trying to get to this house in the, in the inner city and I stopped because I saw a person up on a ladder working on their home. And, and, uh, and so I, I got out and walked up into the yard and said, Could you, and I gave him that address. And, and, the, and the gentleman up there looked at me He didn't say anything. He got down off of his ladder, and he came over to me, and he said, Son, do do you know where you are, right? Because he's thinking some poor real estate agent has taken advantage of this poor, innocent young man. So we bought that house. We lived there for for 10 years. It was a powerful experience for us. And because we lived in the city, they did street cleaning, right? And and if your car is parked on the wrong side of the street on street cleaning day, anybody ever lived in the city? When you come out, your car, where is it? Oh, it is gone, and it's going to cost you $11 trillion to get it back from the tow company. So so Vanessa's in the house. I'm not there. So I called her later on that day and say, How's your how's your day going? And she said, Well, I almost got arrested today, but how's your day? right? So she's in the house, and she looks out the window. The tow truck is backed up to our car. There's a policeman, right? Because policemen accompany the towing in this neighborhood, right? Because people shoot people in this neighborhood. So the police is parked behind the car. The tow truck's in front of it. The guy's down on his knees. He's looking under the car, and he's trying to figure out, and Vanessa just walks out of the house. You know, she just walked out of the house. (laughs) Oh, you are not going to tow my car. I kid you not. She went in. She stepped over the man. She sat in the seat, started it up. The guy, you know, you can see him jumping out, scurrying away, right? The policeman standing there watch. She backs up. She pulls around the corner, parks on the opposite side of the street, gets out of the car, walks back into the house, closes the door. <laughs> if you know Vanessa, you know that's a true story, right? Because she said, oh, you are not towing my car today, right? And you know what that policeman did? He got in his car, and he went home, right? <laughs> that tow truck driver, he got in his car. And they went home. They were, we are not fooling around with that woman. One of the things, we don't even know why she's doing in this neighborhood, but we ought to leave this lady alone. <laughs> there should be something inside of you that says, oh, you're not taking away my rest. You, you, this is one of the most sacred gifts that God wants to give to me, so you better back up if you're going to try to take this thing from me. There should be something inside of us that has a righteous indignation when there is a temptation to set aside something that God wants to give to you. John 2, we love this text at the City Life Church. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, which means that there were tens of thousands of people in the city. So Jesus went to Jerusalem in the temple area. He saw merchants selling cattle and sheep and doves for sacrifices. And he also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. And Jesus made a whip from some ropes and he chased them all out of the temple... Not, not because they were buying and selling, but because they were cheating people. When you study the history, you begin to realize that the exchange rate that they charged was exorbitant, and they were taking advantage of people. They had scales that they would use to weigh gold to make sure it weighed the right amount, and they had manipulated the scales to cheat people. And so Jesus is, is just, he's angry that there's such deception and honesty and taking advantage of people in the one place that they should be able to come and trust. So he makes a whip. He drives them out. He drove out the sheep, the cattle. He scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor. Come on, Jesus, he's got some attitude. He turned over their tables, and then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here and stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the Scriptures. Oh, we like this one here at City Life, Psalm 69, 9. Passion for God's house will consume me. I want to be a part of a church that has passion. I want to be a part of a church that feels a deep love for God. I want to be be part of a church that has a passion for restfulness. I want to be part of a church that has a passion for every sacred gift that God wants to give to us. So let's do another participatory moment here. Come on, we like authenticity at the City Life Church. I don't want you to name a church and I don't want you to name a person. Don't name a church and don't name a person. Especially if you're referring to the City Life Church, just leave our name out. But what are some things that you have observed in churches that make you angry? Come on, Sabra. Favoritism. Favoritism. Absolutely. I should not have called on her first, right? Should have made her. Politics. Politics yes. Stop. Gossip. Manipulation. Manipulation. Oh, yeah, hands are up now. <laughs> Judgmental spirit. Lack of participation not recognizing new guests. Condemnation. Come on, these are good. Yes. Two-faced people. We don't have any of those here at the City Life Church. Right? Yes, ma'am. Say that again. Yeah, rules. The rules that we shouldn't have about praising that are, that are overly restrictive. What's, what's somebody else? Somebody else, yes. Hypocrisy. Come on. Anybody ever been into those experiences? We all have. Clem? Clem? Dress code, come on, bring it. We like that. T-shirts, shorts, and flip-flops outside at the City Life Church. You can come that way. It's okay. It's all right. Nice, nice. Somebody else what was their hand over here. Clicks. Clicks. Legalism. It's true, isn't it? When we're in a church and we see those things, especially if those those things characterize a church, there's no perfect church. There's no perfect church, right? You've heard the saying before that the that the ark, right? There was a lot of crap in it, but it was the only thing that was floating at the time. <laughs> you ever heard that saying? Yeah, come on. You can say crap at the City Life Church. That's right. <laughs> we dismissed the children for a reason. <laughs> can I say oh this is a this oh, just a quick story. This is so funny. So we're at, the, we're at the Williamsburg campus, right? We're at the Williamsburg campus, and there's a, a gentleman there, and, and he, oh, he's just, he's just great. Loves God with all of his heart, but he hasn't always loved God. So he's, he spent most of his life working in casinos, and he was a craps dealer, right? And so, so I was standing there just a few weeks ago, and, 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 and Derek and Ethan were standing there with me, and, I, and I'm talking to him, and, uh, and, and so I forget what we were talking about, but he says to me, right, hey, well, you know I was a crap dealer, right? And I see the look on my kids' faces. <laughs> They're going. First of all, I'm not sure what anybody would sell crap, but I'm even more perplexed at who would buy it. So I turned to them and said, that's a, a slang name for, for, for a dice game. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. okay, whoo, wow. Oh, it's great. I love that. I'll have to definitely remember that. Somebody remind me to tell that story. Don't forget the crap story. Because he'll be there. He'll get a kick out of it. There's something in our heart when we see things that don't belong, we get an attitude about that's good. I'm not talking about people that just have a bad attitude all the time. We're not talking about contentiousness. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a righteous indignation. If you're looking for a perfect church, you're not ever going to find one. There's going to be glimpses of everything that you just mentioned, even at this church, just glimpses of it. But it's not ever going to characterize who we are as a church. Because when those things are happening, we're a church that loves each other enough to have the hard conversations with each other to help us pass them. So they're not ever going to define our church, and they're certainly not ever going to define our lives. Those of us who are committed to one another, those of us who are really in this place of relationship with one another, it's not ever going to be who we are. And and if we were ever in a place where it did become who we are, then there should be something inside of you that says, hey, that's not right. So what if you had showed up? What if you had showed up to the anniversary service and I said, let me give you our new nine core values. Let me give you our new, these are the, we'll call it the new nine, right? Got it all alliterated out. We got t-shirts that are coming out. The new nine. Nate's got a new tattoo, the new nine. Tattoos are okay at the City Life Church too, right? We've just lost half of the visitors right here already tonight. What if we said, you know, we're going to worship other gods. We're going to actively participate in other religions. We're going to make idols. We're going to pray to them. We're going to sell them. It's going to be a great fundraiser to send our youth to camp. We're going to worship them. We're going to speak with profanity, which we've always already done a little bit tonight, especially using God and Jesus' curse words. We're going to speak disrespectfully to our parents and speak of them publicly in derogatory ways, and we're going to teach your kids to do the same. We're going to openly endorse murder out of vengeance and anger as being appropriate. We're going to practice open marriage relationships. We're going to endorse dishonesty for personal gain. Giving false testimony is okay because most people are guilty of something anyways. Envying others' possessions to motivate ourselves to get more stuff. You would have said, right? Oh, that's not right. I cannot be a part of a church that's practicing these things even if you know this much about the bible you would see that and say that's not what church is supposed to be about where did i get these nine from they're from the what they're from the how many commandments they're 10 how many are up there so how many of you have ever been in a church where people don't preach about rest the staff don't practice rest they're wearing you out that something inside of your heart rose up and says this isn't right It's not an accident that he put the Sabbath as part of the Big Ten. How is it that we have come so far that we see these nine and even if we don't even, we're not even sure that Jesus is real, we see those things and say that is not supposed to be a part of Christianity but yet when rest is missing, there is nothing inside of us that feels wrong. It should not be that way. And it cannot be here at the City Life Church. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. It says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's the Hebrew word kadash. It means that something should be set apart, that it's sacred, that it's special. There are things in this life that are sacred to you. Your marriage, it's sacred. Your children, they're sacred. There might be some possessions that you have that have been passed down from generation to generation. It's a keepsake. It's, it's sacred. And if somebody were to mess with those things, come on, you'd have an attitude. And God says, come on, the Sabbath day, it's holy. It's kadash. It's sacred. It's set apart. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God, and on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What's he saying there? He's saying, if I can create the universe in six days, surely you can do whatever you need to do in six. That's what he's saying. Come on, God has a little bit of attitude every now and again. Don't tell me you're too busy because I created the universe. I found a way to do it in six days find a way, we've got to find a way to do what we need to do in six of the days so we can give ourselves to a day of rest. But on the seventh day, he rested. Oh, I love this one. One day I'm going to have a boat, and it's going to have this Hebrew word right on the back of it, nuach, N-U-A-C-H. It means comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. How many of you need a day like that every week? Comfortable, convenient, and easygoing, and it should not be a wish it should be sacred, and it should be something that you say, I am not going to give up doing whatever I need to do to reorder my life so I could take a hold of this day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. He set it apart, He made it Kadash. He made it, He made it sacred. He made it sacred. All right, let's talk about rest action. This is our last one. We want to give you some practical steps. There should be something inside of you tonight that says, you know what? I'm learning something about rest that I've never learned before. This idea of sabbatismos, there's all kinds of rest. There's a paternal rest. There's a purpose rest. There's a perpetual rest, but there's most certainly a physical rest. And I need to have all four. And if somebody's going to try to take my rest away from me, there should be a a righteous indignation that I should have a rest attitude. Oh, I'm going to have my rest. I'm going to do what I need to do to make this thing happen in my life. It's sacred to God. It's a gift that He wants to give to me. It's going to be sacred to me. Comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. One day, every week. So, eight steps to a weekly Sabbath. It's one of my favorite quotes. This is a famous theologian, Karl Barth. Says that things take their course with particular freedom, distinct from weekday practice. To as much, to as much or as little as the day brings. The day should be free from compulsion. When is the last time that you woke up and you had a day that was free from compulsion? It's a day that you did not feel like, I have got to get that done before the end of the day. You have six days like that. There should be another day that's comfortable, convenient, it doesn't mean that it has to be sedentary. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. It doesn't mean for some of you, you rejuvenate by being active. You just have to be active in things that are not a work demand upon your life. Come on, a day free from compulsion. So I'm going to give you eight steps. The first one, come on, you always start with this when you pray. Because you might be here tonight and you're saying, Fred, you don't, you don't know how busy my life is. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't understand. And you're right, I don't. But God does. And he has an answer for you, and he doesn't ask anything of you that's not possible. It might be impossible in your own strength, but if you rely on him, he's going to help you find a way. So if you're looking at what we're talking about tonight, and you're saying, you know what, I, I, I believe everything that you're saying, but I'm just not going to be able to do it, then you can at least begin to pray. You can say, God, you can begin to talk, you can begin to have a conversation. God, I believe that this is something you want me to have. I believe that it's sacred to you and it should be sacred to me. Father, will you help me? God loves conversations like that. Begin having a conversation in prayer. You've got to be willing to invest. If you do not have a a budget that you're operating off of, then we've got a life group just for you. The table's out there in the sign-ups. We're going to be talking about it at the end of this series, overspending. We have an overspending problem in our culture, in our society, in our lives. Many of you in the church here, there should be a line item set aside in your budget for rest. Money that you set aside to spend on rest. Money that you have set aside so that you can invest interests, things that you enjoy doing that are rejuvenating. Again, I've been, I love shooting sporting clays. I've been, I remember the day I bought my first shotgun on Christmas. Vanessa and I were married. A friend took me out down to Old Forge Sporting Clays in Providence Forge. I was like, right, the, everybody seen the movie where the kid gets the BB gun, right, the, the Red Rider BB gun. I got my, I walked out of Dick's Sporting Goods out in Short Pump. Vanessa was like, w- will you wipe that grin off of your face, right? It's one of the things I love to do. It's one of the things that I enjoy doing. There should be some, some, some interests that you have that just, they rejuvenate when you do it. For you, it might be golf, or it might be reading. For Vanessa, it's gardening. Again, it's this idea that you don't have to be sedentary. You don't have to be inactive. You can be active on your day of rest. The question is, does it rejuvenate you? That's the measure. That's the measure. Vanessa loves to be outside and, and, and working in the, in the mulch beds and planting flowers. And honey, you go for it. You go for it right? I'm here loading up my shotgun, right? You've, you've got to have some money in your budget that you set aside so that you have some resources to, we love boating. Family is a, for, for us, it's a family, it's part of our family identity. That's another sermon series for another time, but we love to boat in the summertime on, on, on our day off. We'd love to get out on the water. It rejuvenates us. Rest will cost you something. It's sacred. Invest in it. Come on. You've got to be willing to protect that day. If you leave here and as a family you have a conversation and say we are going to find a way, I am telling you everything in the world is going to happen those first few weeks to try to rob you of that day of rest. You turn your phone off. Don't get on Facebook. You, you do what you need. Talk to your friends, right? People, our, our day off is Monday. People know if it's not an emergency, don't call. Or if you text us, we're not going to text you back, right? There's, we're going to call someone else and say, hey, can you, can you go help someone? Right? Mondays, we protect it. We guard, our family knows that's a, a day of rest for us. There should be a day in the people in your life that are around you, you've talked with them. This is a day. It's sacred to us. It's special to us. I'm telling you. They're going to say, oh, I need a day like that. I need a day like that. Part of protecting your day of rest, it creates an opportunity for you to help get the nine commandments back to ten operating in people's lives. You have got to be willing to say, I know that that load of laundry didn't get done. It's going to wait until tomorrow. It's going to wait until tomorrow. You have got to be willing to put a fence around that day and guard it and fight for it and protect it you've got to be flexible. For some of you, because of your schedule, your Sabbath day might move around. Because of your work schedule, it might not be the same day all the time. For, for some of you, it might be that to start out, it's just going to be, you might not be able to start because of your routine, because of your schedule with a 24-hour period. You're going to have to build up to that. It might just be for you that you're going to say, you know what, for, the, for, for six hours on Sunday afternoon, that's going to be a Sabbath day for us. There's got to be some flexibility if you're talking about reordering your life. You might not be able to just start tomorrow and start doing it. It might move around. It might start at noon on one day and go to noon the next day. You with me? You, you, You give yourself some flexibility to experience the rest that God wants you to have. In Jesus' day, he rose from the dead on a Sunday. That's the reason why most churches worship on Sunday morning. It's to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And at some point in the history of the church, they took the Jewish Sabbath, which is Saturday, and they just meshed them together with Sunday for simplicity's sake. But whenever we dilute the truth, we just end up creating more confusion. The Lord's Day was never intended to, to, to be the strict Sabbath day. That's the day that that we honor and celebrate because it's the day that Christ rose from the dead. And if you want to honor the day of his resurrection with rest, then God's just as excited about that as if it were to be the day that you would go to church. For who would want to do that, I don't know. You you with me? You You can honor and celebrate the resurrection of Christ through all kinds of ways that are sacred. And rest is certainly one of them. It's one of the reasons why we made the big shift to Saturday night in 2008. We wanted to create a way for families to rediscover a way of resting with each other, and we said we're willing to change the day that we meet to do it. It wasn't the only reason, but it was one of the driving reasons. And we hope that you find that day. And you've got to give yourself some flexibility. If you're talking about reordering the way that you live, you give yourself to it. We've been doing this for more than a decade, and I'm telling you, you're able to accomplish more in life What does Jesus say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. If we would just trust him with the plan that he has for us, it always works out better. Pray, invest, protect, flexibility. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and I'm going to give you these last four. It's family. Dads, don't leave out of here. Tomorrow and your family says, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to play golf all day. Pastor Fred says, I got a day of rest. No, 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 that's not what I said. That's not what I said. You've got a wife, if you've got children, then Sabbath, it becomes a family day. Doesn't mean that you always have to be together, but if you're not going to be together, you've got to agree to it. For us, with the pace of life that, that we keep, we're seldom not together. It's the day that our kids know we have them all to ourselves. If you've got family, it needs to be filled with family activity and family fun. You guys need to be together this idea of others i'm i'm hoping that we are turning loose a conversation about rest in this church you're going to talk to each other you're going to facebook each other you're going to email one another you call each other how what are you doing How, how how are you figuring out what are some of your ideas that you learn from each other we look to each other we follow each other's example this idea of grace it's important because there's going to be weeks where you fail there's going to be weeks where you mess up. There's going to be weeks where you violate your sense of conviction. You've got to be willing to give yourself the same kind of grace that God wants to give to you. Somebody said, I don't want to be in a church where there's condemnation. God doesn't want you to be in a church where there's condemnation either. He doesn't want you to live a life filled with condemnation. So you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to mess up. It's going to take you some time to reorder your life. All right, what was the last one that was up there? Rest. Yes, thank you. I should at least been able to remember that one, right? Because this is the rule. This is the rule right here. How do you feel the next day? That's the rule. If you feel worn out, if you still feel tired, then you, then you did something wrong. The measure is do you feel restful? In Ecclesiastes 4, do is there a restfulness deep inside? Even if you were active that day, do you wake up the next day feeling rejuvenated? that's the measure of whether or not you're being true to the Sabbath that God wants you to have. Stand with me as we worship Him. Father, we want to be a church when it comes to the things that you find sacred that we say we won't back down that there's going to be a drive, that there's going to be a sense of determination, there's going to be a sense of perseverance, there's going to be something inside of us that says, God, I am determined to have the life that your son Jesus paid the ultimate price for me to have, and I believe with all of my heart that physical rest is part of it. And so we pray as we worship in this song together, God, that that even now you're going to begin to answer some questions that people have in their heart. Even now, that by your Holy Spirit, you're going to supernaturally give them a, a wisdom to begin to put these things into practice, that you're going to empower us to go out and live this life that you've called us to live. And God, we say together tonight, let it be that all of our hearts, that we would be hungry for the life, that you have called us to live heaven on earth. In Jesus' name everybody said, amen. Let's worship together. Savior, I come Quiet my soul Remember Redemption's here where your blood was filled.